and welcome to Minute 3 of As If, the podcast about Clueless, where we talk about Clueless minute by minute. I am Darren, your host, and today I have two wonderful guests. Uh, first of all, I'm going to say hello to Caroline. Hello, Caroline. Hi, everyone. And hello to Eric. Hello, Eric. Hi. Now, uh, both of you are returning from uh, our previous podcast efforts. Um, I think Caroline, you did a you did a minute late in the run of uh, a talking cast. I did, and then I did a week worth of uh, Boy Next Door as well. Yeah, and uh, and Eric, I think you did. Um, I think you set the record for recording different uh, with different hosts on the talking cast. I think oh, you yeah. recorded with basically every host. I always get someone new. I'm happy to do it. And uh, and uh, I think you did um, you did a week as well on on the the cast next door. That's right. Um, and I think you returned when I took over as host for the middle of of, uh, of last <laughs> time. Of that, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're all familiar with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so this minute it begins with um, Cher in the Horowitz kitchen mid sentence, and it finishes just after we get introduced to the outside of the school. Um, and as we start the minute, bubbling under on the soundtrack is uh, just a girl. By no doubt, um, which I think I mentioned this in the first two minutes, which I was a host of last week. Um, but I'll mention it again here. Um, Amy Heckling wanted Just a Girl to be the music that plays under the Paramount logo and for the opening. Mm-hmm. Um, but because they were on a different label to whoever was doing the soundtrack, uh, someone in the studio was like, you know, we need. We need someone from our our label to be the one that you hear first. So she, yeah, she yeah. swapped it for for uh, kids in America. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's definitely it would have made it a little bit more uh, MTV generation, I think, if they had gone with Amy Hankerlig's original choice. But uh, I think they make up for that with the whole Noxima commercial line. Yeah, okay. it's fu- it's funny actually because I think just a girl would have would have like that the I don't want to go over minute one too much again, but mm-hmm. that opening where it's all kind of like an MTV movie video where it's all kind of like quick you know, jumping of, about and the quick cuts. Yeah. I think that would have fit better to just a girl. That would have made a little bit more sense, but mm. um, you know. So um, well, I mean, let's get let's get into this minute because there's we get um, we get an important introduction, but before we get that introduction, we wrap up what we what we were talking about from minute two. Which is the um, uh, the chemistry between Dan Hedaya and Alicia Silverstone here as as father <laughs> and daughter? Yeah, uh, with, with him trying to encourage, like she's trying to encourage him to to be healthy, and he is basically resisting it at every single turn, kind of running around the kitchen trying to get away from her. Yeah, I think this does a lot to um, put Cher on our uh, to put us on Cher's side. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that Clueless is a really unique movie in that it gets us to sympathize with a character who otherwise pretty much has everything she wants and otherwise probably wouldn't be bothered with as a main character in a lot of other movies, especially teen movies that are usually the underdog sort of narrative. But um, yeah, we get to see we get to sort of feel for this like really kind of spoiled princess relationship but immediately think it's like adorable and that they both deserve to be happy despite the fact that we are literally told how much money is being made. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, as we get later on to this minute, I'll, I'll discuss, the, and, and this week as well, because over these kind of next five minutes, there's a lot of like introductions and the way characters are introduced is quite interesting. You know, Cher gets her voiceover uh, imploring us that she lives a pretty normal life. 
mm-hmm. um, for a teenage girl. And and then she introduces her father with this whole thing of like, you know, he's fearsome. He's a well-paid litigator. You know, he scares the maid. Um, and, and then, you know, like for each cons- each minute we get now, we're going to get like Amy Heckling gives each of these characters like a very distinct kind of introduction Mm-hmm. Um, and you like really get to know them kind of just in the space of like 30 seconds. That's all we, that's all we meet Mel for. He's like, he's in and out really quick, but you kind of know straight away what his character is. This kind of like, and I think like the little, the last little exchange they have where she's, she's trying to give him the glass of orange juice and he just goes, forget it. And just like walks out. <laughs> and I just think that's such a, like, like that as a, like a kind of like a button to that scene. It's perfect because it's like. Of course, he'll just like not bother taking the orange juice and just walk out yeah. because he's a lawyer who's getting paid thousands, <laughs> thousands each week. Like he doesn't care about like now, orange right? juice. Yeah, so I just, I just, I like. Um, I, I mean, I like what Dan Hadea is doing here because I think he's, you know, you know this character like after just seeing him for thirty seconds, um, and you know that's that's like the first kind of great part of of the film is like the relationship that's established so firmly yeah. between Cher and, and her father. There's an impressive amount of like shorthand use to communicate very clearly who these characters are within their interactions with one another. And it just so clearly sets down who Cher is, who her father is, uh, their relationships, even with the maid where the maid is just running away. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's such a great movie that just instantly conveys all this information to you and you're just taking it all in. And we get our, our first little bit of foreshadowing here where um, Cher is like, why do I have to see Josh? <laughs> and Mel's, you know, you divorce wives, not children. Which, uh, it's funny because, like, um, you know, we, we find out that Mel has been divorced from what we have to assume is his second wife, at least, mm-hmm. for five years. So since Cher was about ten, he's been kind of divorced and single. And um, the fact that he still cares about Josh, like, five years on... Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how long that marriage was, and I'm going to guess... I mean, I, I mean, Cher's mother must have died when she was pretty young. So if it's, say, five, five, six years that they were married, and, he, and you know, this time later, he still has a certain level of affection for Josh. And Josh is the only other person in the film that we're really going to see Mel show any kind <laughs> of, like, love for. He, he uh-huh. basically is, you know, fearsome and angry at everybody apart from his, you know, his two kids that he kind of clearly cares for. Yeah. Um, he wants to take him under his wing and kind of, uh, I don't know, make him a lawyer like he is in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we can't get too much into that because Josh isn't in this minute and we have the most important thing, um, you know, which is coming up, which is the introduction of Dion. Mm-hmm. Um, and first of all, we get we get just a girl. It comes onto the soundtrack, you know, um, and this is one of the things where, like, if you're seeing this film now, or if you you saw it like, you know, ten years ago, you might assume that like, no doubt, were big when this film came out, um, but they weren't. Like, they were wow. actually like, you know, quite small. This is this is like, you know, Amy Heckling being kind of ahead of the curve here when it comes to choosing this group, and they really they didn't become big until a few months after this film was already out. Yeah. Um, and over here in the UK, they didn't become big until like the following year. Um, so it's kind yeah. of like, like putting this on the soundtrack here kind of makes a statement because they were quite well known, like in the LA scene, they had been mm-hmm. for like a number of years. And, you know, I think obviously the choice of just a girl is also, you know, an interest in. Uh, kind of yeah, choice. I think that this song especially was what made them uh, notable on the LA scene at the time, uh, because 
it definitely hit at a time when, you know, uh, Riot Girl was kind of still existing, but probably on its way out. And this no doubt had this really great sound, but they married it to these very pointed lyrics and uh, uh, subject matter for a pop song. So if Amy Eckerling had put that at the beginning of the movie, it would have been all but like a thesis statement right away. You've gotten that blast of this is the movie, yeah. I, I think it's funny that like um, it kind of almost plays like as a counterpoint to what Cher is talking about, where he, she's bragging about her Jeep. And she's like, did you see the... I mean, oh, here's the thing as well. We we get, we get start to get... It wasn't evident in the first couple of minutes, but it'll become more evident this week. We start to get some more of the way that Cher speaks, which is not just the the kind of the, the lingo that she makes up, but it's also the fact that she will... Um, she will use longer and longer words as things go on, something which <laughs> impresses Ty quite easily. Um, but I think it like her, her choice... The choice of language that Amy Heckling made for Cher is kind of interesting and particularly like the fact that she you know you've got this song playing and over the top of it Cher is like you know look at the airbags the monster sound system which always makes me laugh because her voice is like <laughs> kind of like super high on the word monster yeah um and i think the fact that she's just like i haven't got a license and it's like why are you in a why are you driving around in the jeep and of course as soon as she says that um we cut to you know a stunt driver running over a potted plant and then cut back to share <laughs> given the yeah. kind of doing the, the classic kind of excuse of oh that came out of nowhere <laughs> and I, I think it's kind of, all of this is kind of building her character like really effectively uh and that's all before we even you know we're like a minute and a half in here and mm-hmm. we, we kind of know exactly who share is um even by the way she drives yeah it's it's not I a big deal in the movie it's like just a little like five ten second cut but it kind of gives you a sense of like the five to ten seconds it, that's all it is for her so she just drives away and doesn't think anything of it yeah so now we get to the big introduction in this minute which is uh dion you know Cher's best friend um and named as she says <laughs> um, um after after great singers of the past who now do infomercials which <laughs> i think i think might still be true of of dion warwick because yeah you know, her her last kind of significant album was like 87. So it's, it's, that was quite a while before this film. And that's quite a while ago now. Yeah, but I think that if they remade Clueless, they would have to make her Mariah. Because Mariah Carey <laughs> commercials now. Yeah. Where, the funny thing is, like, Cher, like, um, the singer, as opposed to the character, like, a couple of years after this, had, like, um, you know, she had, like, Believe, and she had, like, a she kind of had a resurgence where she was like a singer again and she started doing films again. And like, it's weird because this is like a a very brief lull in Cher's career where you could kind of make that joke about Cher. Well, now you think if you, I I think you'd have to make a joke about her Twitter account. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She was on much things to change. Yeah. I just want to briefly say Dionne Warwick, and I didn't know this, uh, was apparently Whitney Houston's cousin. Wow. Yeah, I know. Uh, And, and for all the fighting over how you pronounce her second name, she changed it to that. That was... Uh, it, there's always a fight over how people say Warwick or Warwick or and it's like well it, she was born Warwick and she put the W in there and got rid of an R ah. uh, she fan- fancied her own name up we get to Dion the character um, who um, because of the TV show has got a surname which is Davenport but I don't think they ever say that in the film uh, I, th- I think she's just Dion in the film um, and we get to meet Stacy Dash who, I mean, the big thing about Stacey Dash in this film is she was 28 playing, like, a 15-year-old, which is, 
it's kind of that cliche of teen movies full of like twenty somethings, which was actually more true of like Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero than it was like a teen films. Because I think like a lot of the John Hughes films, they did actually use you know like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds, and obviously um, Alicia Silverstone's eighteen. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she's ten years older, it's you know that's the kind of thing that when people saw this film, they were like they didn't realize that she was so old but you know she looks she carries it off for the film i would i'd like to say she you know she yeah she, she could probably good. still get away with playing someone much younger than she is now yeah she um she's you know she looks great in this film and, although um, i i have to say i was a little i was very taken aback by how much darker she is yeah. in this movie than she is now i don't maybe it's her makeup that they're doing differently but she looks like very different uh, circa the mid '90s, than she does now. Well, so much so yeah. that I didn't recognize her. Like coming into this movie, I didn't directly know that was Stacey Dash in this role. I've only seen the movie once, so coming in, I didn't realize that was her. So when I was reading the cast list, I was like, "Oh, wow, okay, that's Stacey Dash." Okay, yeah, she changed a lot between this and the uh, All Falls Down video. Mm. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, that which which is like uh, like um, ten years after this, which she appeared in because her cousin is Damon Dash and he was the director <laughs> on that video, so, nice. <laughs> which is just which is weird weird that we're getting a lot of famous cousins here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Dion stands out as one of these best friend characters, though. Uh, just speaking to her introduction, yeah, because uh, she like any of the characters in the movie, you get very quickly like who they are, like mm-hmm. their their range of of uh, what they're going to do in this movie and uh, sort of the kinds of like one-liners they get and how they interact with Cher. And I was immediately struck by how much that character is um, asserted right away, especially compared to like, I don't know, like Gabrielle Union in like 10 Things I Hate About You or something where she's just, she's literally just there (laughs) to like feed lines to everyone else. Although, you know, she has more to do and bring it on. I, yeah, I guess so. I don't. I don't think I saw that one as much as I did either Clueless or Ten Things I Hate About You. But I thought it was cool that they that right away Dion is not definitely not a non-entity in terms of even how her story diverges from Cher's eventually. Oh no! And the thing is, as well, is like the 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 fact that I mean, this is something obviously that's going to go past me. But there's a lot of fashion in this film. Um, not only fashion that was kind of specific to the era, but fashion that was. Um, as we discussed in minute two, like shares, you know, plaid skirt and, and jacket combo. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's, there's looks in this film that the kind of, they're not nineties, but they're, they're kind of for this film. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny that we get like the line about, um, did you go, did you go shopping with Dr. Seuss? Cause obviously that hat is ridiculous. And I think Dion just doesn't give a, doesn't care. Yeah. at no, all like no. her i think Cher is at least a little bit more like actually de rigueur as to mm-hmm. her st- sense of style but dion is doing something entirely different in her costume design i'm not sure a computer yeah. would have recommended that hat for so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah dion clearly doesn't have the the dress me program <laughs> and we, we we get a little kind of like it's funny because like it's not like Cher is allowed to kind of say you know you're wearing a terrible hat and get mm-hmm. nothing back because Dion is immediately like, "Did you skin a collie to make this backpack?" And I think <laughs> yeah. that's kind it's of foul. like, "It's foul." <laughs> yeah, it's foul. and we get the little stop sign thing is where, where she is like, "I totally paused when obviously she didn't." <laughs> Again, she, she's she's kind of deluding herself as to how good a driver she is, which obviously. Again, is a little bit more foreshadowing because that will mm-hmm. 
that will kind of bite her in the ass like in about an hour's time in this film. But you know, that's kind of like the majority of what this minute is about. Um, although I did want to say um, again, apart from like she said, Cher says you know the the jeep is loped out, which I don't I don't know what that. I guess that means. I, I mean, it's, that's not a common piece of language that I know, so... But then she also says about um, Dion in the voiceover, she says, I must give her snaps for her courageous fashion efforts. Snaps. And I I think the kind of the structuring of that is, like, the fact that she says courageous instead of, like, brave. Mm-hmm. The fact that she, she she sets it up as fashion efforts, like, rather than... Like, I think, I think the kind of that entire line is, like, an interesting way of mixing kind of, like, you know, the kind of lingo of snaps with the kind of the the weird kind of you know word choices of courageous fashion efforts which is she talks is... exactly like uh the copy in like ym or jane magazine um <laughs> i am probably the only person who has any perspective on what those are like but well uh, yeah i was from... hoping you'd be able to enlighten me because like i yeah i i guess you know i I wouldn't have. I don't know if this is this was common of teen girls in the nineties that they would uh, kind of use these te- these turns of phrase in this way. Probably not like actual people. Like no. <laughs> I think that Cher. I think part of what I really love about Cher's character, and I I think I'll get into this uh, in pr- uh, pr- uh, more minutes from now. But she basically is like a trend piece come to life, like in that tone. <laughs> Um, that exact, like, and I think it was a tone that was actually invented by, um, Jane of XO Jane now and formerly of Jane magazine of this kind of like chatty, warm, but still pretty erudite young voice that Mm -hmm. has all this command of like synonyms and sort of SAT words, even as they're describing, uh, you know, (laughs) jackets and skirts and, uh, you know, smoothies, that sort of thing. Oh yeah. She's excellent word choice. And like, it's very clear she's educated. She knows what she's talking about most of the time, and yeah, I mean, even even when all the stuff she's talking about is very fluffy and there's not much to it, she she has good word choice. At least. And um, you know, she doesn't do this sporadically throughout the film. She does it, you know, consistently. So, I mean, that's a call forward for minutes from now. Mm-hmm. So, I was going to ask, do you remember the first time you saw Clueless? Uh, I'm going to start with Eric. You said you've only seen Clueless once before. Yeah, watching once. it for this, so. probably. Three years ago, I think, on Comedy Central, so I'm not sure whether it was cut down for time at all, or I, I really don't know what the rating of this movie is, but I, I doubt there was much cut for language. But, uh, yeah, I saw it once on Comedy Central. I really enjoyed it. It's, like, I think most people can come to this movie and have a good time. It's good, well-written characters, uh, just a, a great screenplay that lets everybody have a, a, a character, even if they're on screen for a very short amount of time. But yeah, I was just very charmed by it initially, and yeah, so I'm happy to be participating here. And Caroline, do you remember the first time you saw it? When I spoke to Shannon last week, she was like, this film has always existed as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> and she couldn't remember the first time she'd ever seen it. Because... The Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> yeah, she's she's like, obviously, when it comes to like younger women um, who would now be in their 20s or 30s, this is obviously a film that was that was there when they were children or there when you were younger. So yeah. I, I feel like it's going to be hard for you to remember the first time, but do you kind of remember kind of seeing it or being aware of it? Yes. Um, but I will say I definitely didn't watch it obsessively or anything. It definitely wasn't in my like personal collection of teen movies that I would come back to over and over again. And I think it's because of what I mentioned earlier, that the hero is not an underdog. The hero pretty much has everything under control 
at least to, to her own knowledge until the end of the movie. But um, I don't know. Like, I think I, I remember liking it. I definitely didn't dislike it, but I didn't emotionally gravitate towards things that didn't have to do with, like, really tortured, like, underdog uh, young women <laughs> who had to like prove themselves or uh, sort of defeat the the character that Cher might represent in another movie like that. Yeah, I was going to say that is something that has come up in discussion when I did Minute Zero with the hosts, um, you know, who will be taken over from me once I'm done with these first seven minutes. And last week when I was talking to Phil and Shannon, like in most of the films, Cher would be uh, the antagonist who... <laughs> someone on the other side of the tracks like or background hero so maybe or not background character maybe where they're just kind of all yeah their own thing yeah so or you know the girlfriend of the preppy boyfriend who's beaten up the protagonist like <laughs> yeah she wouldn't yeah. she wouldn't be like the, the the star of the film um so it is it's kind of unusual but i think that's because of the source material which is not acknowledged right. anywhere in this film <laughs> which, which is, is why i think that yeah. i appreciate this movie so much more as an adult for that reason though yeah. uh because as an adult, I, this person is much younger than me, and it's kind of a charming experience to see how this particular character sees her world, because I'm not emotionally invested in socializing with that age group anymore. <laughs> but um, at the same time, that's kind of why I think this movie is more for adults than it is for people of the ages that uh, the characters are supposed to be. I mean, I'm going to also say, have either of you read Emma? I'm going to assume, Caroline, you must have read Emma. Yes, <laughs> I, I have. I have not. I'm on the Wikipedia page currently. And I think that the movie actually accomplishes um, the thing that Emma is probably best known for in terms of uh, literary history, which is the accomplishment of this kind of suspended subjectivity in, in the person of the narrator of the main character, um, where you get versions of events from entirely her perspective while also being made aware of what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, so I think this movie, like, its success as an adaptation resides entirely in that, in my opinion. And I mean, it's funny that nowhere in the film do they ever say the words Emma or Jane Austen, because the film is kind of so... Um, with, a, with a kind of few tweaks here and there, it's such it's such a close adaptation really of the novel like the way the the plot beats play out are so close to the way it's done in the novel that it's it's really weird that they never put Jane Austen or Emma anywhere on the credits it's literally just I written and directed by I uh, think Amy that Hedlund. the the other version in which we see that sort of thing is like again 10 things i hate about you where they have like a couple of throwaway shakespeare references that don't really contribute much to the actual story so if that's the alternative i don't really care whether or not they mention jane austen yeah. Uh, in the text of the screenplay itself, although I am surprised to learn that she wasn't credited officially. Oh, yeah, no, that's just what I mean. There's no... It's written... The, oh. the, the sole credit that you get at the end is written and directed by Amy Heckling. There's no... There's no um, acknowledgement. I mean, they don't need to. It's yeah, that's like weird. Two, it was a 200-year-old novel. It was in, it's been in yeah. public domain for ages. You don't need to acknowledge yeah. it. I mean, um, did The Lion King attribute Hamlet when <laughs> that came out? I mean, yeah, that's true. These these older works can kind of take from the core elements of older works with I mean, very little actual uh, direct direct citation. I I, I think it's fine mm -hmm. because it's it's old enough and it's kind of passed into the fabric of modern storytelling. So yeah. Okay. Well, I feel like we've covered this minute, and I don't I don't want to hold this up for tomorrow's minute because that's when we start to get into the 
you know, we're, we're further into more introductions and we start to actually get uh, kind of more of this relationship of Dion and Cher. And, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to taking that apart. Um, so before we go, I'm going to say, do you have anything to plug? And I'm going to start with uh, Eric. Do you have anything to plug? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at capital E underscore H-A-R-Z 1138. Uh, that's basically it i was also on the previous podcast if you haven't listened to those please do and caroline i am the host of the loose canon podcast which i think was mentioned in last week's episode with shannon uh that's c-a-n-o-n and uh we're a film podcast that discuss uh each movie from the perspective of me and a guest and it's me getting to know them better through their choice of movie that has some sort of personal bearing on their uh upbringing as people of opinion i suppose but you can find us at loosecanonpod.com. Uh, okay, so I'm going to say goodbye for now, and uh, we will all see you tomorrow. Uh, so thanks very much for joining us, and goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of As If, the podcast all about Clueless. It's produced and edited by Darren Husted. This episode was hosted by me, Darren Husted, with my guests, Phil Gonzalez and Shannon Camp. Like us on Facebook at As If The Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at As If underscore podcast. And follow us on Instagram, As If Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes or the podcasting app of your choice. And please rate and review if you enjoy. Clueless is owned by Paramount Pictures. No infringement is intended. All rights reserved. Copyright 2016.